following audio is from a sermon series called Identity Formation. As we study through the book of Ephesians, our aim is to get an understanding about what is most true about us when our identity is found in Jesus Christ. As we understand our gospel identity, we learn that our being informs our doing. Ephesians is all about identity formation. For more information on Sacred City Church, visit scmoline.com. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. You guys doing okay? Okay. I can't tell. Some of you look like you're a little ticked off that you were made to come this far forward already, so I just, I don't know. And maybe that's just your natural face, you know, when you're way back there, but just just closer now. Um, Yeah, I I wasn't going to say it. Adrian will tell you later. Um, Usually when I preach a sermon, I try to, like, have an introduction that grabs your attention, tells you, like, hey, Here's why, here's why you should give me the next 45 minutes of your time. I'm not going to do that today because we just have a lot of time. we got a lot of stuff to cover here. And so if it's okay with you, we'll just go right for it. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians. This is a little introduction. We've been in the book of Ephesians since April. We're going vis- verse by verse, chapter by chapter, studying uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying. He wrote this letter. It's a letter. Uh, to a specific church in a specific moment of time in the specific city of Ephesus. Um, and, and he is writing this letter to tell the church about the church. This whole letter is really about the church. It, it, it's, it's about how God has taken, in chapters 1 through 3, tell us about this, how God has taken a group of ragtag people, right, people who are weak and really there's nothing special about them, and God has poured out his love, poured out his grace upon them in a way where they are recreated into a completely new humanity. And then in chapters 4 through 6, so the second half of this letter, Paul starts to tell these people who, who have been transformed by the gospel what it looks like for them to live out of this new identity that they've received in Christ. And we are right now, we're at chapter 4, we're really just starting chapter 4, we're actually two weeks into chapter 4, um, and, and I had to extend this sermon series a little bit because I got going into my sermon prep this week, and I said, there's no way I can do everything uh, that this text really calls for. So we're going to add a couple extra weeks here. Um, So yay, I love it. Uh, I don't know if you do, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So Paul tells people how to live it out. Here's your new identity. Here's how you live it out. Except, like, especially here uh, in in verse 1, he says, I want to urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here's how you walk it out. Here's how you live this out. Now, chapter 4, Paul is explaining here, really the, the, the main thrust of this section here um, from chapter, uh, chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5 is expressing, he's explaining to Christians that you are not your own. That you, when you have been saved by the grace of Jesus, you have been brought into a new family. A family that supersedes the biological family that you have or, or the, the, the family, your work family, your co-workers, or those people who share, the, who are so close of friends that, that, that you consider them family. Jesus is showing you, us that there's a new kind of family that God creates and the bond is stronger than any other human relationship that you have. And one of the illustrations that Paul uses to kind of express this, he says, yeah, yeah, you're part of a family. You're part of the household of God. Right? You've been adopted in as sons and daughters. But another illustration that he uses says that you're members of a body, right? of like a, an actual physical body. You are members of a body. He's saying that you're not just an individual off doing your own thing. Right? You're not your own little solar system where everything revolves around you and, and you kind of come and go, do what you please, um, make decisions without any kind of concern for other people. Like what's going on in being brought into this family, being brought into the body, is now you have this communal existence to your life. And, and we see this happen. It's not like a... a it's not this unique phenomenon that occasionally happens. See, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the gospel is believed, there Jesus establishes a new community who lives together on mission. It always happens. You, you go throughout the whole New Testament. Everyone, every circumstance here where the gospel is believed and preached, it, it, there's this communal thing that emerges and now they live on mission. It's where people now belong to a community that is bigger than themselves with a purpose that is bigger than their own. Now, I say that, and we can say amen to this, and I love it when I hear you say amen, but there is something about this that puts us on a collision course with the two big main isms of our culture. And, and, and I, I just want to say, like, it's not just that these things are um, a philosophy of doing life a certain way or, or tendencies. Like, there, there are actually in these isms deeply embedded sins that are de deconstructive to our way of life, the life that God intends for us. And the first ism that we come in contact with here, when we see that God has saved us into a family, we're now members of a body, is it puts us in a collision course with individualism. That's the first ism. Our culture, like I don't have to tell you this, uh, highly individual, highly individualistic. And we see this where, where people think like, I, I'm an island. That's the mentality. I'm an island. I can be autonomous. I don't need other people. Other people don't need me. I, I certainly don't have any impact on them. I can be self-sufficient. Now, the reason why Paul, why the gospel confronts this sin of individualism is that it's a cancer which puts me at a center of the universe. It's a place where I don't belong. In fact, put yourself at the center of the universe and things are going to start to collapse and blow up. See, what's happening in this moment, when we put ourselves in the center of this universe, it's an expression of selfishness 
And selfishness is anti-humility. Now, if we go back to kind of what I preached on a couple weeks ago, some of the distinctives of this gospel culture of, of Christians, the way that they live life, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Now, humility is, is this act of, of not thinking less of myself, but, think, not, but thinking of myself less. That's it. It's not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. Those, those little things, those phrases get flipped in my head sometimes. i got to get it right. If you're at the center of your own universe and everybody else is doing that, like if everybody is the center of the universe, that will lead to a total erosion of a culture if left unchecked. Like civilization will collapse and it'll become inhumane because it's everybody trying to get up a leg on everybody else. It's, it's me first. It's me at the center. I'm number one. Now, I, I got to say this. The gospel confronts individualism. It, it rebukes it. But the gospel is pro-individual, right? There's a personal element of the Christian faith. It's not just that, like, now I'm sort of uh, morphed into this blob of whatever. And I lose my distinctiveness as a person. I have to adapt and just kind of, I don't know, uh, what's it called? Acc acclimate. Assimilate. That's it. It's not that. My favorite part of Sunday, last Sunday, AJ sitting in the tent. I'm way out in the back of the tent, and I can hear AJ laughing through Pastor Justin's microphone the whole time. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's great. Okay, the gospel is not anti-individual. It's anti-individualism. There's a difference. Because the gospel tells us you as a person, as a unique individual, made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God, there's a place for you here. You belong. You're an integral part of something bigger than yourself. Now, one of the places where Paul expresses this very, you know, poignantly is in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, this is a place, if you start talking about the body, uh, the, the body of Christ, this is one of the first places that you're going to go and you're going to study here because it's so clear. It's a whole chapter that spells this out. But Paul says, listen, the body isn't one member. The body is many members that make one body. So, so of the many, there is one. He's saying that we are a collection of, of, of body parts. We're a collection of pieces that are knit together intentionally by God. In fact, um, in, in that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that God placed each member next to the other with intentionality. See, you're in missional community with the people that God wants you to be in missional community with. You're in sacred city with the people that God wants you to be in community with. We are a collection of people that are knit together by God. And while the church is, is radically unified, like brought into one, in fact, that, that's really the emphasis of the first six verses, where it says one faith, one Lord, one baptism, um, one God, one Father, He's, he's bringing us into this unified mindset. The church is, is unified, but it is not uniform. It's not homogenous. This is exactly what verse 7, it turns a corner, talking about verses 1 through 6, it's this uni, unified ecosystem of relationships, this unified body 
Verse 7, check this out. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today in verses 7 through 13. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, throughout Ephesians, when, when Paul uses the word you, typically, I would say like nine times out of ten, he's using the word you in a plural way. He's talking about y'all, the, the corporate, the, 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 um, the entire entity of the body. Now, in this particular moment, when he says grace was given to each one of us, he's saying individualistically, he's going, you, Barry, you, AJ, you, Jonas, you, Leah, you are gifted individually in a specific way according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul's saying to us, listen, body, you, you have a role to play. God has, has spread out the gifts among the body so that the body can perform as it ought to perform. See, you might be a finger, you might be a kneecap, you might be a lip, you might be a cheek. Some of you, I don't, you're, you're the other kind of cheek, I don't know. <laughs> Talking to you, Kevin, just kidding. <laughs> I love you. Um, he said, there, there's a, a bunch of different members of the body. It's a diverse, it's a, a unified body made of diverse parts. And each member makes a vital contribution, and it is way more than just being a butt in the pew. Way more than that. See, the church, listen to this, the church is less like a bus. See, bus, there's a bus driver. There's one person running the ship. And then everybody just sort of funnels onto the bus, takes their spot, and just rides along for the ride. Hopefully we get there safe, and then they get off. The church is, is less like a bus and more like a pedal pub. You guys seen those? Yeah. See them downtown Moline, right around. You got a whole group of people. You know, and this is, this is the point of the sermon when you realize that we're not Southern Baptists, all right? Because I'm using a bar reference. But, but it's, it's this thing where you get a bunch of people on this, on this little contraption. Everybody's pedaling. Everybody's together. They're even facing each other. There's this interaction that's happening as the thing moves forward. The church is more like a pedal pub than it is a bus. Now, here's the thing, though. If I'm left to myself, if I'm detached from the rest of the band of brothers and sisters that are there pedaling with me, I am going to be useless. Like, try to pedal that thing by yourself. You're not going to get very far. The thing's heavy. Second, or First Corinthians, again, chapter 12, Paul says, the eye can't say to this, the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say, I, I, I don't have any sort of use for you. Paul is showing us that there's this symbiotic relationship that happens here in the church where I need you, I need the church, and the church needs me. And God has gifted each person so that you would be present and also serve in a way that enhances the life and the productivity of the body. Now, this is where we, we, the second collision course here. We run into the, the second big ism of our culture, the sin of, of, of consumerism, which says that I, I am here to be served. 
says, my needs come first. That's what consumerism is about. It's just I'm here to, to consume and to use at whatever expense, whatever. And then you can even see this in the fact people jumping from church to church going, I like their preaching. I like their kids' ministry. I like this thing. I like that thing. They got great events here. And you see this sort of bouncing around to get what you need to feel yourself full. And what happens when you're steeped in this, this consumeristic mindset, and, and guys, this is the water that we swim in here as Christians. In this society, you cannot avoid it. The, you, you are more consumeristic than what you think. I am more consumeristic than what I think. And, and when this, this ideology just infiltrates our brain and captivates our hearts, which it does, because there's something about consumerism that just makes me feel good. I, I can collect, I can get fed, I can get, there's something about it. That itches a scratch that we have in some, some way. When that ideology, when that viewpoint is running through the church, it happens this way. People then start looking for a church that doesn't ask anything of them. People go around looking for a church that's basically, here's the bar of what it looks like to be involved. We're not going to ask you to do anything. We've got trained staff. We've got professionals to do the stuff that you don't want to do. They don't want any kind of responsibility. They don't want any kind of accountability. They just show up and they have a desire to be served. See, that's consumerism. And what happens is, is we go from wanting a church to then wanting a commissary. Right? Somewhere where you can just be spiritually fed and it's just like a spiritual dine and dash. That's how we treat churches. That's how the consumeristic mindset treats church. It's a dine and dash. I come and get fed and then I'm out. And there are some people who are here that are like that. There's some people who are here, you've been around, and you're not here to serve, you just want to consume. There's, there's almost this expectation that the pastor or the leaders, mission community leaders, are the ones who, who do all the, the serving, all of, all of the ministering. And so you have this low investment where, where you feel like it's, it's just okay for you or you just don't even want to step up, right? You, you don't want to serve. You don't want to grow, right? You don't want to do Porterbrook because if you do Porterbrook, then I might get put in a way that I got to do something more than what I'm doing. And if I use Paul's body illustration here, it's like you're a bum arm, that, that it's inactive, like the rest of the body's moving and functioning and just dangling limp at the side. Now, as I say that, this might be in somebody's lunch right now, but as I say this, I need to make a couple of really important caveats here, okay? And I'll come back to, to where I was going there. Number one, here's my first caveat of this. Not every inactive or limp body member is a product of consumerism. Not everyone, if there's this season where, man, that, that arm sure feels like it's dangling, it may not be because of consumer. Maybe it's because you've been wounded in a very limiting way. Like, and I, and I see this a lot of times where people have this desire, I want to serve, I want to contribute, but I just, I literally have nothing in my tank to give. I can't do, I, 
it is as if you're a sprained joint, you're a broken bone, and the most appropriate thing to do is to put you in a sling, to put you in a cast, so that you can have the time and the space that you need to heal. Now, whether that means you've been beat up by life and you're trying to piece your life back together, or you're coming out of a ministry or a church culture where you're one of the people that just is go, go, go all the time and you're feeling burnt out from doing too much alone, like you haven't had the rest of the body to support you in the work of the ministry. If that's you, listen, Sacred City, there's place for you, you here. There's place and time. We want to serve you. We want to give you the time and the space that you need to heal in the gospel. And, and, and our hope is, and we're probably going to fail at this, but one of the things that we want to do for you to bless you is to offer you the spirit of gentleness and loving forbearance that helps you mend so that when you bounce back, you're ready to engage with the rest of the body. Now, caveat 1.2, so this is a subcategory of that first one, is that maybe you're new to the faith and you just don't know your place yet. And if that's the case, listen, you've got, again, time and space to figure it out. Like, we're, we're not, the, the, the church isn't taskmasters. We're trying to get you to fall in line and do this. Like, you, there's grace. We've got patience for you to put it together to figure it out. And we want to help you with that. Now, here's the second caveat. This is 2.0 here. Caveat number two. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior yet, I am not talking to you. What makes us a part of the body is faith in Jesus. That's what grafts us in. That's what makes us part of this organism. And so we as the church don't expect unattached limbs to play a role in the body because you have not been grafted into the body of Christ yet. Now let me say this. We are really glad you're here. If you're not yet a Christian, we are so glad you're here, and we hope and pray that Jesus would graft you into the body of Christ soon. And what we want to do for you in this time, as you're exploring who Jesus is, what this gospel means, what kind of implications will it have on my life, we want to be like the friends who lowered the crippled man through the roof in Luke, Luke chapter 5. You know this story? This man has friends he can't carry himself. His body is, is sort of deformed and unable to, to function. And he's got these buddies that, that not only carry him through a crowd, they carry his dead weight through a crowd, they carry him up on a rooftop, they cut a hole in the roof, and then they lower him down just so that he can meet Jesus. See, that we want to be those kinds of friends to you. We want to do whatever it takes for you to encounter the grace of Jesus so that you can be grafted in. Now, when that guy gets up, this, is a, this illustration from, from Luke chapter 5 is a perfect example that when you experience Jesus, boom, what happens? That dude gets up. He starts moving. His body is rejuvenated. Like, that's what happens. When you come, you're grafted in, then boom. Jesus gifts you. He gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. He gives you some sort of role to play within the church. And the reason that we do this, the reason that we're willing to shoulder that weight is because Jesus did that for us. That there are other people, other saints who have come before us who have done the very same thing with us. They've been patient and loving and engaging and pursuing us in ways that would point us to Jesus. So we're happy to do it with you. 
Now let me get back to those that I, I was initially speaking to here. Like the members of the body that are, that are able but inactive. People who have professed faith in Jesus but are not functioning as part of the body. Now let me tell you this. Listen. My aim is to convict, not condemn. Romans 8 says, there, if you're in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. Not, not even a little bit. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, that as our life is tethered to Christ, is he convicts us, he prods us, he moves us toward righteousness, towards uh, the good life, the way that, uh, of human flourishing. And so my, my desire is to convict, not to condemn. Now, one of the mistakes that you can make, if you feel that, like, like you're probably thinking, it's, I don't know, if you're feeling convicted, there's probably somebody in the room right now that's like, if I get up right now, will people notice if I'm, if I'm leaving? Because I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear this, this is really offensive, this is really convicted. I don't, one of the biggest mistakes that you can make when you feel the conviction of the Spirit is to run the other way. When you feel the conviction of the Spirit, it's not to harm you, but to heal you. In Acts, I think chapter, oh boy, chapter six maybe, it says that um, the Spirit convicts in order to bring us to repentance, and after repentance comes, comes a time of refreshing. So the, the conviction that you feel is meant to give way to something more glorious, freeing, liberating, life-giving. So don't run away from this, but here's what I want to do. I, if you're feeling convicted, I want to call you to something greater. I, I want to call you into not wasting your life. Now, we, we can... We can go about our lives making these little empires, right, creating a, a good family, and God bless you because we need good families. It's a good thing. But when you make the family the ultimate thing, it starts to, to undermine the family of God. It cuts off the rest of, of the body that God has intended for you to be part of, to be a vibrant part of. I want you to experience the fullness because you, listen, you cannot experience, the only place where you can experience the fullness of Christ, you can't, you can't experience it in your, in your nuclear family. You can experience glimpses of God's grace, but the only place where you can experience the fullness of Christ is within the context of God's family. And so I want to call you here. If you're feeling convicted, I want to call you to repent of, of your lethargy and in faith be activated to participate with life in the rest of the body, to use your gifts to bless others and to advance the gospel. Now, as I call you to, to repentance, as I pray that the Spirit would, would provoke you in this, this direction of repentance and action and faith, I have to first do this. I, I have to repent as I've been marinating on this text this week, I, I've just been convicted. One of the things, I feel like in, in a lot of ways, I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I can do a lot of things like, meh, so-so. And because of this, especially when it comes to ministry, it can give the impression that I got it. It's under control. I can handle it. That, that, that even it, it expresses that, man, maybe there isn't a place for other people here for other people's giftings to be utilized. What I sensed this week was a deep conviction from the Holy Spirit that I'm not doing my job, that I'm not being part of the body in which God has called me to live into. 
And by not calling up other people and, and utilizing and activating and pointing out and identifying the spiritual gifts that God has, has given and spread out through the body here at Sacred City Church, I have been making these sinful grabs at praises of men. So that you would look at me, oh, Sam, he's such a great pastor. He's got to figure it. He's doing so. so. It's like, no, this is a self, it can very, this is why ministry is dangerous. You can very easily be switched from, from a, a pursuit of trying to give glory to God to a, a, a desire, a, a glory hunger for self. And, and if I'm living in that, I'm not saying I'm doing it all the time, but there's this inconsistency in my soul about this. And when that's happening, it's a disservice to Sacred City Church. It's a disservice to the, the advancement of the mission of God. And I could be hindering you in your growth, in your giftings. Now, in, in spite of that, you know, like, God's still at work. You, you can't deny that. Like, a hundred times a week, I'll fail you. Sometimes a thousand times a week. But in spite of that, God is still at work. But there is a sense where I want, to, as a member of the body, I want to be activated. I, I want to be utilized in a way that helps people the way God intends. Now, here's what I mean by this. Here's how I could be hindering you. Chapter 1 of Ephesians says that God has given the church every spiritual blessing. What he's saying here, he's not saying that there's a couple individuals that have been super blessed. Like they've got all the gifts. They, there's nobody, only, the only person who has all the gifts is Jesus. And the rest of the church, God spreads the gifts out. So you got this gift, you got that gift there, you got that gift there. It's spread out. Because it's a collective viewpoint. Going again back to the collective, not the individualistic. It's a collective view that all of the gifts are present in a local church. Which means every, every, say every, every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's like talents that are given at birth. Spiritual gifts are given at rebirth. Come from God. Now, some of these spiritual gifts uh, might be an enhancement or a magnification of the gifts or the talents that you've had from even your, your pre-Jesus days. And God, in his grace, his spirit kind of breathes life upon those gifts and reinvigorates them in, in a greater extent. But some of us, we become a Christian, and there, there is suddenly something implanted in us that we've never had before. Like, I've seen this all the time where, where guys come from this, like, tough um, background, got to be hard, got to be tough, and, and, and they just really, they seem like really hard-nosed guys. These macho men. And they become Christians, and God gives them the gift of compassion. And they have this tenderness in their soul that wasn't there before their, their Jesus experience, but it's there now. Or patience. Like some people who have, who have you know, been, been the prodigal, who have run away from God, who have kind of lived this life of rebellion and push, push, push away, and then you come and you experience the warm embrace of the Father that scoops you up while you're still in your sins and trespasses, and you learn, your, your path has taught you what God's patience is like, and so then you can then convey patience to other people. See, Jesus implants those gifts in every Christian now, some people, some of you might be doubting this and say, well, I must have missed that day when God was given spiritual gifts because I feel kind of like a dud, right? If I'm a part of the body, 
I must be the appendix. Right, just take it out. You don't need it. What, what good do I do here? No. If that's the way that you view yourself, that's wildly unbiblical. See, you have, this is your identity, you have been gifted. You have been blessed in Christ. And that, not just that. Check this out. In verse 7, it says, Grace was given to each one, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus has measured out your gifts and given them to you. And if there's one thing that I know about Jesus is that he is not stingy. He has given you a gift. It's there. Now, we may not have been able to identify or tap into it or activate it yet, but it's there. Now, this is why, this is why I felt a, a sense of deep conviction this week, because God gives gifts to the church, and God gifts the church leaders to empower and equip. That's what verses 11 through 12 are. We're going to skip that weird section here, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But verse 11 through 12... It says, and he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, the role, my role as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, my, my job isn't to do all the ministry. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That, that, that means... Ministry is not reserved for the professionals. Ministry is not reserved for those who have got a Bible degree or those who have gone to seminary. Ministry is for all of the saints. Now, if you remember back to chapter 1, we encountered this where Paul says that you are a saint. To the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Christ, you can say to the saints in Moline, you can remember that when, when Paul uses the word saint, he's not talking about this, this A-list Christian, right? This top tier, the starter Christian. You know what I mean? Like the super gifted ones. He's not, the saints, he's talking about every single person who has faith in Jesus is called a saint, right? A saint, the holy ones. If you are in Christ, you have been made holy. Jesus cleansed you of your sin. He's washed you white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, have your sins been removed from you? You are, in the eyes of God, you are holy. You are a saint. Now, what Paul is saying here is that if you're a Christian, not only are you a member of the body, but you're a minister. You're not just a member, you're a, a minister. You have been called to salvation through the person and work of Jesus, but you have been called into a life of service to King Jesus. And this is what we call the priesthood of all believers. Right? The Apostle Peter talks about this. Uh, you are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you are a, a royal priesthood. Priesthood, right? That's ministry language. That, that this is at Sacred City, that we hold to this. That, that ministry isn't done by a few people on staff. Ministry is done by every member of the body. All Christians are members. Let me ask you, do you see this about yourself? Do you see yourself as a minister? Now, some of us are like, no, because I'm not going to preach. That's what, that's what ministers do, right? They preach, 
I'm not going to lead a prayer ministry. I'm not going to lead an outreach ministry. Uh, I think many of us sort of dismiss this identity that we have as ministers because we, we have a, a misunderstanding of what ministry is or what ministry looks like. We, if you go to, um, again, to, to 1 Corinthians 12, there's a long list of, of, of these. Even in Ephesians 5, the, 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 the giftings here are, are those of leadership. And you say, well, I don't have those. Or even you go to the charismatic gifts of, of speaking in tongues and prophecy and being able to distinguish the spirits. It's like, well, I don't have any of those. I don't have any of those charismatic giftings. I don't have any of those public ministry giftings. See, the thing is this, here. There are more gifts in the body, in the church, than what you see on a Sunday morning. In fact, if church is only Sunday morning, there's, a, there's just a small group of people who will ever be able to serve the body. But if church is the way that Jesus designed it to be, that people living life in community and on mission, people sharing life together, there are so many opportunities to do, to utilize, to, to use your giftings in a way that blesses and edifies the rest of the body. See, this is why missional communities are so awesome. It's a perfect place where you can see this person gets to use their gift of hospitality. This person gets to use their gift of faith. This person gets to use their, use their gift of wisdom. This person gets to use their gift of prayer. There are all kinds of opportunities here. And we might look at these things as ordinary gifts, but they're ordinary gifts that God uses in extraordinary ways. Things like the gift of, of administration, right? Being able to like organize and get the right people in the right spot and set up systems and structures so the body can work well. That's a gift. That's a gift that we need. Generosity. There's some people here that have a, a gift of generosity, that just have this natural disposition that, that God has put in them that's, that makes them want to contribute above and beyond what, what makes sense to the rest of the world. To fund the mission, to support missionaries, to, to help the church move the mission forward. There are people who have given the, given the gift of hospitality that are so good. So when, when you hear like this around the table campaign that I introduced earlier that we're, we're getting ready to launch, like this is your wheelhouse. You love having people over in your home. You love sharing meals. You love cooking. You love making people feel welcome. That is your gift then of hospitality. Some people have the, the gift of compassion, the gift of prayer, the gift of wisdom. You've, you see the gift of, of faith and serving. Like now, it, it, there's a gift of leadership. I'm coming back. The gift of mercy, the gift of exhortation, and it keeps going and going and going. Scripture, I, I don't think that Scripture gives a, a definitive list, like an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God gives the body. Because they manifest in different ways. They pop up. We can see it all over the place. And when these gifts are used, they enhance the life and the ministry of the church. Now, when... When, when you hear this list uh, of, of the gifts that God gives to the church, there's this tendency uh, of wanting, like, the good ones. Nobody wants the gift of serving in kids' ministry. I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. Nobody wants that gift. And those of you who have it, we love you. We, we praise the Lord for you. But there, there are some gifts that people will, like, look down on and say, well, that's not as cool. That's not, you know, that, that's not really in the spotlight. That's more under the radar, right? There's this... There's this envy, the jealousy that we might have of other people in the body who have a different set of gifts than us. And listen, I don't, I don't want you to miss out on the incredible way, the incredible privilege that God has laid out for you to bless, to serve, to, to help the church by being envious of other people. 
See, when, when everybody is, is uh, where am I at with time, guys? I don't know. Okay, we're, okay. Whoa. I told you you got a lot today. Let me do it anyway. First Corinthians 12, listen, he says this. Um, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. See, these gifts that we kind of look down our nose at or think of, like, at least in the opinion of the society of culture, like, we think, oh, yeah, that's not a cool gift at all. God says, that's the indispensable gift. That if you take, if we take you out of the equation, the body's going to collapse. It's like pulling the skeleton out of the, out of the body. It's going to be a heap of muscle and flab. Your gifts have been implanted here in this church to enhance the life of the church and the ministry of the church. Now, what is ministry? Because I feel like there's always misunderstandings about this kind of stuff. Ministry, simply put, is this. Ministry is serving Jesus with his resources to accomplish his purpose. Ministry is serving Jesus with his resources to accomplish his purpose. So whatever resources God has given you, whatever gift has have been entrusted to you, they are meant to be deployed in service to Jesus. And when you serve Jesus using those gifts, not only is Jesus glorified because it's his gift at work in you, you are an incredible blessing and benefit to the people who are around you. Whether they're, they're Christians, your, your brothers and sisters of Christ, or people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus. And when you use your, your gifts, you deploy those, they, they are to build up, to comfort, to encourage the rest of the body. Now, there are some gifts, there are some gifts that only a few people are going to have. Like, not everybody, like, not, starting next week, we're not going to have this new preaching rotation where we're all just going to take a, take a turn in the pulpit. That, that wouldn't be right, because some of you don't have the communication gifts. You don't have the preaching gifts. And the places where there are people like that, we, we want to give you time to grow. We want to give you the space to grow, right? Ash was one of those guys. We loved having him come up because he was, he was testing the waters. He was, he was cutting his teeth. And we want to create space for people to develop and to grow. And the local church is the primary place where you do that. The local church is the primary place where you develop and discover the gifts that God has given you. And this is why church membership is so important. Right, because it's in church membership. It's in this radical commitment to one another that we say, listen, um, we are together for this. We're, we're together. We're in this together. God has united us in this profound way. We're acknowledging that reality. But at the same time, as part of the body, we want to complement each other. We want to work together. So, so the body of Christ affirms and instructs people as they're figuring out what their giftings are. See, sometimes, like, there, there's things like spiritual gift tests. You can go online, you can find a bunch of them. That's really not where you need to go to find out what kind of spiritual gifts you have. Paul would not have never said, hey, go to this place, spiritualgifts.com, and punch in your stuff. He wouldn't have said that. He said, where you go to find out your gifts is the church. Because it's this community that will look at you and say, hey, I think that God has gifted you in this way. I see this in you. I see how you have the gift of hospitality, how you're just so welcoming, like this new person walks into missional community and you're the first one to greet them at the door. I think God's given you the gift of hospitality. You should keep doing that. On the, on the other side, like, there's the loving, like it literally says speak truth, truth and love. If there's people trying to, to like live into a gifting that they don't have, you can lovingly and gently say, listen, I don't know if that's what God has for you, but here's what I do see God doing in your life. Like, it seems like you've got the gift of wisdom. You've got the gift of prayer. 
And so helping people kind of hone in on what those things are to affirm and instruct so that we can be vital members of the body. And so listen, at Sacred City Church, there is space to make mistakes. There's space to kind of figure out, to test the waters, to find your lane of what your spiritual giftings are. Now, you may not be good at it like that, but, but sometimes gifts are like you, you can develop them, you can grow them, enhance them, right? None of the Olympic athletes that we just saw over the last couple of weeks, listen, they, they had this natural disposition. Uh, their body has been wired in a certain way to do something really well, but they had to develop it. They had to train. They had to harness what their body was able to do. The same thing with the church. So listen, you've got permission, and actually you don't even need my permission to, do, to use the gifts God's given to you. I shouldn't even have to tell you. Like, use them. Deploy them. But here is the permission that you have to take risks to fail forward. To go to the community and say, hey, well, I'm not sure what my gifts are. Can you help me put my finger on this? And ask God to reveal them and to use you in this, in a way to help the body. Now, as I close here, I, I need to... I need to jump back to verses 8 through 10. I skipped over them. They're kind of the odd piece of this passage. Um, it's, actually, uh, um, it's actually a, where am I at here? It's actually a reference. Your, your Bible will say it's a quote, but it's not a quote. It's actually a reference because if you go to, to Psalm 68, which what, what Paul is refer referencing, you'll see the words don't match up. It's not a quote. You might say, oh, yeah, chalk it up to, you know, is the Bible doesn't have any error. No, no. It's, Paul is doing something different. See, Paul is summarizing. He's re recapitulating the entire psalm, and he changes. He, he's, he's capturing the essence of the entire psalm in this one little line. And this is what he says. He says, um, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, if you go to, to uh, Psalm 68, it says that, that the people gave gifts to him. All right? What's happening in this psalm, it's a psalm of victory. Um, it's, and I don't know why Paul went there because it's like you're talking about members of the body and all of a sudden he goes to the ascension, dissension stuff. It's very confusing. He has this caveat in saying that he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who's also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And this is all in brackets, right? Got a little caveat. I don't know why he went there. Maybe he was in, in Psalm 68 for his devotional that morning. But it has... It has infiltrated his view of the body. Now, now, what is this psalm telling us? What's the point of that psalm? It's a psalm that, that depicts this king who's ascending to the, to the victor's seat. He's just gone through battle. He's delivered the captives, the prisoners of war who have been, who've been trapped by the enemy. Um, his kingdom is being reestablished. The enemies have been trampled out. And this king in Psalm 68 is being praised. People are lobbing gifts at his feet, right, in thanksgiving to what the king has done. For his leadership, he's being honored, he's being praised, and people are just dumping gifts on him. But then here's the thing. Here's, here's where you can see that Paul is, is recapitulating the whole psalm, not just um, quoting that one verse. At the end of Psalm 68, it says that the king gives strength and power to the people. See, this is where the summary comes from. See, it's the king who, who gives the strength and the power. The fact is, Christians, the fact that Christians have spiritual gifts is proof 
of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the grave. See, spiritual gifts is when the king ascends to the throne and he bestows the gifts among the people. Where Jesus saves the weak and unimpressive people and he gives those weak and unimpressive people a real spiritual power, a real spiritual gift for the sake of, for the glory of the king. And every time you use these gifts and deploy them within the context of the body of Christ, you are giving him praise. See, Jesus gives you gifts, you give him praise when you use those gifts. And every time you do that, you're taunting Satan. Every time you use the spiritual gifts that Jesus has given you, you're kicking Satan in the shin. Say, watch this. Stand back. You you can't believe what God's going to do. You can't believe the way that Jesus plans to use me. Like, who am I even? Who who am I that God would use me? But Jesus has plans to use each and every single member. Because this Jesus who descended to the earth, that's what Paul's getting at here. This king that the psalm references is Jesus who descended to the earth, who was crucified, but in the power of God was resurrected from the grave. And not just up from the grave, but he ascended into heaven and is seated right now as the king of the cosmos. He liberated the captives of sin. Those of us who are, who are captive to the idolatry of individualism and consumerism, he's brought us into new life, this communal, this sacrificial, this service, right? Following the model of the king who is, who is the chief servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And in celebration of this victory Christ has earned, he gives gifts to his people so that he might fill all things. Listen, because you have the spirit of God in you, if you're a Christian, you have the resources. You have a gifting that God has implanted in you. See, this is what it means, that the church would be filled with all in all, right? The full, go back to chapter one. It talks about the church, the fullness of all things. Because here in the church, God fills his people with his Holy Spirit, with his power, with his gifts, so that we can live into our identity and do our part. Father, we thank you for the fact that you don't overlook us, that you love us, you have a plan for us, that you you want to use us at Sacred City in this church um, to advance your mission, not not just to be consumers, not just to be individuals that are are preoccupied with our own little worlds. God, you're calling us into a, a greater narrative, a greater story. You want us to take part in something that's epic and will last for eternity. And so I pray that you would help us loosen our hands of the things that that we ought to let go of so that we can cling to Christ. And this morning, we come to the Lord's table and we see, we take it in our hands, the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords who, who humbled himself who became a servant to serve the least of these, that we might um, be grafted into the body, that we might be part of the family of God. And and as the Spirit dwells in us, as, as the elements strengthen us this morning, would you help us to do our part? Would you help us to live out of the identity that we received and to and to be part of the body that functions well? For your glory and for our good we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.